hello, everyone. How's it going? Thank you for tuning in to This Week in Mormons. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Tiffany Hales. That's right. Hybrid episode this week, folks. You get a little bit of me and one of the twin sisters, so it's going to be great. I know. Ariane doesn't know I'm cheating on her with you. I didn't tell her. I'm deciding if I'm going to tell her. I'm just going to let her be surprised when she listens to the episode and go, you cheated on me with Jeff? I think you should let her be surprised. And and I'll let the record show. I would love to have Keith cheat on her and do an episode with me. Just Oh, you know what? Let me, I will work on some arm twisting on that. Okay. I may be able to, I may be able to twist some arms and see if I could get Keith to agree to do that. We're, we're like frenemies. So it could be a lot of fun. You guys great. are like frenemies. <laughs> it could be great. It could be a good time. Well, uh, we're, we're glad you're all joined us this week. We've got a lot of interesting things going on. I mean, learning about the true definition of the word cult. Uh, should there be government programs to help you have a healthy marriage? They say it doesn't work, but then we should do it. Who knows? Um, the ward leadership in Utah gets sends the wrong signal about the Republican caucus. Uh, Ammon Bundy is a Mormon behaving badly. There's lots of Mormons behaving badly. This oh, yes. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and some alleged remarks by the brethren about should we or should we not discuss Heavenly Mother, to name a few things. A couple of other items as well, but uh, we'll look forward to getting into it in a, in a few minutes. But Tiffany, how are you doing? How's the life? I, I know I know. in a couple of weeks you and Ariane will be on. And I don't want to spoil the updates for that, but uh, it's, I got you. It's quite all right. I am busy kind of with two things. First of all, today was Pi Day, as I'm sure you all are aware. And so um, our office, we're kind of in a new temporary building. And so to christen the new temporary building, they invited us to bring Pi and partake of Pi together. However, I really suck at making pie dough. So I made a cookie pie. I made a s'mores cookie pie. And... It was, it was delicious. In fact, I made two and we just didn't have very many people in the office. So I brought one home and my 17 year old son is not sad about that. He was quite delighted <laughs> when he, when he came home and he's like, Oh, you didn't use one of the pies. And I was like, no, I did not use one of the pies. There we go. Pie crust can be difficult. I'm, I'm more of a fan of custard pies. So the pie crust mm-hmm. winds up being a graham crackery yeah. or pecan based thing, which is different, but regular, you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy. Don't don't beat yourself up. Well, that's my husband does that for me. He says you don't make your pie with love. <laughs> that's his that's his one criticism of my cooking is you don't make your pies with love. <laughs> Are you just like instead you're just yelling at it in the kitchen? Hate. <laughs> exactly. I'm yelling hate at the pies. So when I told him I was making pie for work, he's like, No, you can't make pie. And I said, Oh, but I'm making cookie pie. And he was like, Oh yeah, you'll you'll kill it at the cookie pie. Well, oh, cookie pie's awesome. Yeah. If I would have been there, I probably would have preferred your cookie pie to other pies. Exactly. I don't so. really care about apple pie. No. Yeah. Cherry pie? Not really. I'm not a big fruit pie fan. So I had, I, I didn't want to eat my own cookie pie because I wanted to have others eat that. So I had sure. a little bit of a lemon meringue and a chocolate cream pie. I remember good. at our um, at our Ward Christmas party, you know, a few months ago, it was a little bit different because we hadn't done a lot of, we hadn't really done yeah. any indoor activities since covid and you guys talked about that too when you recorded then. You know, it was a little bit different vibe trying to figure that out. One of the funny things though is that for dessert, rather than of course having like just a pie sitting there and letting people cut into it on their own to not spread germs, everything was portioned out, whether it was pies or cookies or brownies, whatever, onto individual plates for people to take, which is fine. Yeah. But then the leftover game is totally different then because like I was sitting there like, do I take like all the pieces that are my leftovers and put them back in a tray? Like, what do I do here? What is the play? Normally, I just grab my yeah. container and move on. But I'm like, I can't like take this back with how it's been. And so I think we got enterprising youth to uh, be nice enough to take all of it. But it was a peculiar situation, Tiffany. I mean, I didn't. That I didn't, is a quandary. It was quite a quandary. It was one of Quentin's quandaries. I don't know if you remember that. Our one of our famous segments on this show. Long time listeners, not. very long time listeners might remember many, many, many years ago before the church's digital game got a bit better, and they were thrilled to announce that Elder Quentin L. Cook was, I believe, the first apostle to write a blog post. That's oh. what it was, like a blog post. And so I think we joked about. I think it was him. That was President Ballard. But somehow we fell on Elder Cook doing it, and like what he would name his blog. Yeah. And we decided his blog should be called Quentin's Quandaries because it just, 
like someone give this man a pathos column. I don't know why no one's doing it. I think we would, we need this. He can well, tell us both about being an apostle and about being a healthcare executive. It's perfect. And, and very good alliteration of your words there. Well, that was With the idea. Con- you know, the, you know, I mean, if you had to do it today, I mean, Dieter's diatribes, I guess <laughs> that could be one of them. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not- I, I want to work through all of them now, but I'm not going to make the listeners sit through 13 more of these while I try to think of alliterative names. But uh, Russell's rants, that one's easy. Oh, oh, that's a good one. I like and, that one. And, and Dallin's diatribes, Henry's. Uh, what's a H word for like ranting or rave? I don't know. Henry's uh. hallucinations. And- <laughs> See, I'm just still stuck on Russell's rants where you like he, Russell's could, rants? he could put That's on good. there, you know, rather than ranting, he can say, I invite you to do this and I invite you to do that. <laughs> and it's he could put all life. of his invites on his Russell's rants. One of my favorite inviters was uh, Elder Scott when he was still alive. Because you know how Elder Scott always had this very calm delivery. Yes. And he would always do this very subtle head cock, this little tilt. When yes. he would say something important, be like, you can repent. I love the man. Elder Scott, when I was a kid, was probably one of the one apostles I found boring. But then as I got older and like went on a mission stuff, I found him like, dude, he, he quickly became a favorite. It's funny how spiritual maturation can do things like that to you. It is very, very true. So. Well, good time. Let's get down. Let's do some, some news. news. Some newsy newsy. Um, hey. a lot of, I'm just going to lead off with the one that I am... Uh, passionate about here because this just cracks me up. There's no exact, be, to be clear, there's no exact way to verify this, but unless somebody went to a lot of effort to doctor a fake email and then block out the uh, like the personally identifiable oh. information in it, I don't see how this wouldn't be real. Okay. So let's assume it's real. Yes. I think I'm okay with that. This email from Monday, March 7th, 2022 Re is from a, a ward in Utah. It says, brethren and sisters, our caucus is at Benyon Junior High. Sign in and registration start at 6 p.m. And the meeting itself starts at 7 p.m. We hope you can attend. Thanks. The 66th Ward Bishop Brick. Um, reading that, it seems quite innocuous, right? Like it a does. simple like, hey, everyone, come out. We're doing this thing at 6 p.m. Uh, but the, the, the devil is in the details, as they say. In this case... Benyon Junior High was hosting the Republican Caucus. Utah doesn't do primaries. Mm-hmm. The Republican Caucus for the state of Utah, the political sense. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with local leadership telling you to get involved with a caucus meeting or what have you. Yeah. I mean, they might say they might say that. I believe the issue that people were um, the people took with this is that the phrasing is says our caucus, uh-huh. not caucus. Because the Democratic caucus is not until next week in Utah exactly. at, the time of, at the time of recording. So by saying our caucus, they are literally saying our caucus is the Republican caucus. The Ward's caucus is tonight at Benyon Junior High. I mean, it's, I think it's an, an, an innocent faux pas, but it's indicative of like the bigger issue of the assumptions within our culture. It is so true. It is so true. And yeah, you know, my... And again, even if it was just, you know, hey, the caucus is tonight, I I still don't know about sending it out through the ward email, through using church church functions. You know, if both the Democratic and Republican caucus were held on the same night, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. Hey, we ask you to be involved politically. The caucuses are tonight. Go find the caucus you want to attend and attend, kind of like they do with voting. But to specifically target the Republican caucus, because I kind of doubt next week when the Democratic caucus is being held, that they're probably going to have an email that goes out that says, our caucus is tonight at such and such a place. So yeah. Maybe now I mean, they will. <laughs> maybe now they will. I don't know. It just really, to me, it just really blurs the lines and I don't like the blurring of the lines and it feeds into that cultural stereotype of, oh, if you're a good Mormon, you're Republican. Good Mormons are not Democrats. And I don't yeah. like, I don't appreciate that cultural stereotype. Or even if they sent an email prior to either caucus and said, hey, brethren and sisters, 
in March, there will most political parties have caucuses, yeah. right? And it's, and it's even dangerous to assume the two party thing. Like, you know, for all yeah. you know, you've got Green Party people or libertarians who also want a caucus in Utah. Or in so, Idaho, we have constitutional party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, so like you, you there'd be nothing wrong with saying there are caucuses this month. Here's information about yeah. every single one of them. Or here's links to the various parties, however you vote. That's fine. Like, that's fine too. Yeah. Like you said. But, I have a problem with that. They're not uh, they're not appropriately covering the bases here. What I'm curious about, I don't know where the 66th ward would be. That's a very generic ward name. And where do we have places where there's 66 wards and where the wards have not yet been renamed to things like, you know, like the Sudden Valley Ward and stuff like that? Like what? Where is there 66 wards that we could nail this down? I could go look into LCR and try to dig something up, but that would take too long for the. Time I'm we have wondering if it would be again. It, Looking at, you know, like Salt Lake County has a very, is very mixed in terms of Republican and Democrats. But yes. when you are looking at solidly Republican areas of Utah, you go into Utah County. So I'm wondering if that 66th ward is maybe an Orem ward or a Provo ward. All right, hold Although, up. What hold was up. the high school? Oh, yeah, Benyon Junior High. Benyon Junior High. Hold up. Let's find out where Benyon Junior High is. Real-time sleuthing, people. Oh, yeah. It's funny because my search history already says, um, okay, Benyon Junior High School, assuming this is the same one, is in Salt Lake City itself, oh. which, is also, which is interesting. Now, I looked up the Meeting House locator, locator qu- very quickly and just typed in 66th Ward. Mm-hmm. The only wards that show up, though, there's a West Jordan 66th Ward. West Jordan, I could see yeah. doing this, but that's not Salt Lake City, so I don't know what that would be about. There's a West Jordan 66th Ward, a Provo YSA 66th Ward, a Rexburg YSA 66th Ward, and that is it. After that, it's other versions, 166th, hmm. 6th, 26th, stuff like that. Um, but if Benyon Junior High is in Salt Lake City. Okay, but is- Oh, oh, no, this might be it. Sorry. This must be the- I apologize. The mailing address is Salt Lake City, and I don't know if the boundaries of Salt Lake City really it can't actually be there. But then your junior high school is basically located in Taylorsville. Oh, so, well, there you go. It's the West Valley Ward. It's the it's the West Jordan one. Or so West that's Jordan, excuse me. There we go. So the West Jordan 66th Ward people. Um, now, we, if you really want, we can name the bishop. No, I won't do that on the air. <laughs> um, but uh, but you can find it yourself if you're really interested and want to look into this. So anyway, it's just uh, it's not. Is this the end of the world? No. Does it reinforce the idea of one party rule in Utah and that Mormons are Republicans? Yes. And that doesn't does. do any of us any favors. That doesn't help us move the needle at all. No, no, it doesn't. All right. Do you want to? Since we're since we're on the issue of politics, do you want to move on to another uh, political story? So. Yeah. This one was it was it was actually a feature in the Deseret News that I saw happened to see yesterday, but I had heard about this guy and I had looked him up. Um, he is the Speaker of the House in Arizona, and his name is Rusty Bowers. And I oh, yeah. probably heard of him about six weeks ago because he was kind of. Um, he was kind of bucking the tide, so to speak, in Arizona. And so I looked him up and uh, sure enough, he is a member of the church. He actually graduated from uh, BYU with an art with an art degree and he's kind of a renowned artist. And so anyway, so Deseret News picked it up and did a feature story on him because here's kind of what makes him unique. As you know, um, in the presidential election last year, Arizona was uh, essentially a swing state. It used to be very red. It's now turned quite purple and um, Trump narrowly lost Arizona by about 10,000 votes. And so there was a lot of pressure on doing voting recounting down there and, you know, stop the steal. And um, he is a Trump supporter. But when the election, um, when the issues surrounding election integrity came up, he just flat out put his foot down and he said, no, we don't have election integrity issues here in Arizona. I'm not going to entertain the idea of election integrity issues. I'm not going to entertain the idea of, um, you know, of relooking at everything, although they did. Um, but he just was very much, it's not going to change the results. And sure enough, it, it didn't. And he has, um, faced some political pushback as a result of that. Um, because the, um, 
people who believe, yes, there was a steal, uh, want to see him out of power. He is not going to run for the House of Representatives. He's chosen to run for a Senate seat in Arizona. So he oh. will be a state Senate seat. So he will yeah, be yeah. giving up his power uh, as chairman of the House of Representatives, which, um, uh, or speaker of the House of Representatives, which is really, um, you know, quite a powerful position. And so it's it's yet to be seen how this will play out. But the article also talks about his art background and that he had gone to a high school art class. And I thought this was really interesting. And his after the first day, his teacher said, you know, I'll make you a deal. If you will produce a pain, painting each week from Ted Kazutsky's ways with watercolor, his teacher would offer him feedback and, and improvement. And he did that. And then he went to BYU, he served a mission and he came back and he discovered actually that he's a very talented sculptor and his sculptures- This man does it all. He I know. He's, he's a regular Pat Adams. Yeah, yeah. He just does So his sculptures apparently are all over uh, the state house in Arizona. So quite an interesting- um, Interesting individual down there a, uh, in political I, power. I feel like this is my opportunity to uh, inflict an unnecessary dig at Arizona because that's what I do. Um, I'm sure his artwork is lovely, but there's very little you can do to beautify Arizona's state house. That's all. If you've been there, I've never older, been there. It has like an older building that's fine, and you can go mm-hmm. inside and it's a museum. But the book of the Capitol is the building behind it, which is just an office building. So. Ah. Plenty of states have uninspiring capital complexes, so it's not really fair to just like dunk on Arizona or anything like that. It's fine. Though the little esplanade, the boulevard that kind of approaches it is neat. They they uh, honor war heroes and things like that. It's kind of fun. It's just over there in West Phoenix. <laughs> so next time you're in Phoenix. I'll check it out. So he said, I, I think I misspoke. It says every sculpture in the Arizona House of Representatives building has his name on it. So maybe not the whole Capitol complex. And it also says his work is featured at various Latter-day Saint church history sites across the country. So. Oh, you anyway. can see a picture of their Capitol building right there too, in the bottom. Um, that's cool. Is his artwork featured in Meeting House foyers? I doubt it. I don't, don't think, think he made so. the cut. I don't think it's part of that. Yeah. That's, that's fun for him. He should run for the uh, U.S. Senate seat that's going up because uh, uh, there's an election coming up again this year for the Senate. And Arizona's governor, Doug Ducey, elected not to go for the seat. So Ooh. I don't know what's going to happen. So who Can't go for Martha McSally. She lost twice, people. There's no point doing that. So who holds that Senate seat right now? Because Kristen Sinema was just recently elected, what, two years ago? No, she's almost up on four years. She's so up on four uh, years. Scott Kelly is up. He, he Oh, has, okay. The astronaut He's, brother. The astronaut brother, because of the way the terms have actually lined up uh, yeah. with all sorts of things and John McCain's death and all, all kinds of things like that. Um, it's up for re-election again, even though he just took office less than a year ago. So, well, that fun times. Very interesting. Um, Tiffany, I'm going to guess that it's been a while since you or I has been to Institute. Have not been to Institute in a while. Me neither. Um, even though it's a, you know, it's for young adults, not just young single adults. I did every now and then in my institute days, I would meet married people who would go there. I admit, I would ask myself, why? What are you doing? You're married now. This is a social gathering. Let's not pretend it's anything else. But you know, what are you going to do? And this shows why I didn't love institute very much because my approach was, how can I meet women through this experience of institute? And that's why I rarely went when I lived in California, though I went a lot more when I moved out to D.C. because Institute there is raging. But you absolutely go for the after party. It is off the hook. And I would go to get FaceTime with my now wife. I'm not going to lie. Oh. And, I'm not, and I'm not ashamed. Got to get the FaceTime, you know? There's get no in there. shame in your game. You've got to do the face. That's the only You got to yeah. get your name out of My wife, Danielle, was very popular. She hates it when I talk like this. She taught gospel doctrine when I first moved into the ward, moved to D.C. Her class was full of nothing but men who were all trying to hit on her. <laughs> and we joke about this now. And she knows it was true because, and afterwards they'd be like lining up to try to flirt with her. Little by little, it thinned out as they either went on a date with her and nothing went anywhere or might've been rejected or what have you. But it was painfully obvious. You'd go to the other gospel doctrine classes and it was a normal balance of genders. But in Danielle's class, it was just a big boy party, all hoping to get in there. I won, so that's I fine. was going to say, how, how did you make the cut, Jeff? 
It took a long time. Danielle and I did not date organically. Like I met her, we dated, we fell in love, yada, yeah. yada, yada. We, we, we went out once and nothing early on, then nothing really happened. And then over time, we actually just kind of became best friends and <laughs> best friendship evolves into love and forced marriages. So that and that's always a good basis for a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. You'll learn. I told her, I told her you'll learn to love me. And she said, <laughs> all right, what I've always wanted is to marry a political science major <laughs> who will who has no clear career trajectory. This is the dream. There we go. You're giving me hope for my 17 year old son who wants to be a political science major. If he like wants, I mean, if he, you could do stuff with it. It just depends on what we're going to do. It is a degree that in many senses is pointless because you could also get involved in politics if you study communications or sociology yeah. or any number of things. I don't feel like my degree in any way gave me some kind of a leg up on that front. My grad degree, maybe. But anyway, so Institute, folks, the church is actually trying to revamp a lot of Institute. And since I'm kind of out of this area, I don't think much about this. But this is a, a lengthy article over at the Church News by Sidney Walker, sort of covering the a lot of pilot programs they've in, instituted <laughs> at Institute uh, in order to reach the kids better. And a lot of this is because I think they've seen that People not, might not be coming to Institute. They feel like Institute might not be a place for them to feel safe with certain questions or views. And the, the article is very matter of fact. Like I said, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially saying like, like my one of my siblings is gay. How yeah. do I work through this as a Latter Day Saint, as an as one who wants to be active in the faith and let them feel loved and let them feel like they have a purpose? Um, and I appreciate that they're frank about that, not trying to kind of sweep that under the rug. But so it's not just the content though. That's part of it, for sure. They're trying to make sure people feel they're safe, they're relevant, that they're able to reach individuals in the digital age. They can't, and this even goes as far as um, trying to minimize the use of PowerPoint or things like yeah. that. Instead, they're trying to embrace huge dry erase boards and, and get a collaborative spirit going on. But even down to the decor they're using, the setups to the classrooms, the types of chairs they are using, they're trying to make Institute, for lack of a better term, cool. And uh, I guess it seems to be working. I don't. I, full disclosure: Church News is is a borderline PR wing of the church, as opposed to full blown journalism in many ways. So I don't think they're going to report on if it's not succeeding yeah. per se. But I thought this was very interesting to get a behind the scenes look at what they're doing at Institute and what they're trying to uh, just what they're trying to change and how they're trying to reach a rising generation where there's a lot of concern about mm-hmm. these teenagers who are entering young adulthood. There's a lot of concern about them leaving the church, a lot yeah. of concern about them getting information from other places. And, and, and you know me, I'm like not the person in line to jump on the only approved sources bandwagon for things. Like I, I think use yeah. those, but like it's, you can also look, I don't, I don't know that rough stone rolling is an approved source, but I think everyone should read it. Right. It's, yeah. it's important. Um, we care a lot about the youth and I love seeing what the church is doing to embrace it. I can't think of like one main like takeaway, one main call out from what they're doing here. Uh, it's just kind of a grab bag of info, but I don't know if you read it, Tiffany, if there was anything that jumped out at you that you thought was noteworthy that they're up to. You know, one of the things that I really liked, cause I've got kids in that young adult range and yeah. um, you know, who are, who, who span the, the spectrum of belief in the gospel and, um, you know, I, I think that with these kids today, just like what they're saying in the article, this is not your parents' institute, that if they want to reach those kids and they want to attempt to keep those kids, um, because a lot of them, you know, are like, do I want to stay? Do I want to go? They have to use ways that reach them. And that's what I liked about this is they're trying to be innovative in how they reach them. And probably one of my favorite things was the classroom redesign because they got rid of the dang carpet that goes up the wall, which is standard issue in all church buildings. It does not matter. The carpet goes halfway up the wall. And so it looks, you know, they've got fun paint colors in there in the in the pictures that they have online, it looks like they've got yellow, uh, some yellow paint. And they also have kind of a full on mural photograph on one of the walls. And so it does not look, it does not look churchy at all. And so I really like that and just the chairs and everything. And again, you know, that's, that's the environment and the environment sets the mood for how the kids learn, but they're also changing kind of the learning styles too. And so I think it's kind of a combination of both. And I liked it. I think it's a good thing. You know, let's, let's try it and see if it works. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, when you look at all this, it almost seems like, oh, so we're trying to be more like evangelicals, right? <laughs> to reach them. I mean, we're a couple, we're just got a couple rock for Jesus sessions away from just uh, doing the whole thing. One thing I did find interesting, and this is just the polemicist in me, so forgive me, dear listeners. It makes a note to say that they're trying to make courses that are more relevant to today's students. And one example is a course on repentance and forgiveness using the book, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness by Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, except, except we go back to the approved sources concept, right? When apostles are publishing books at Deseret mm-hmm. Book, there, there's usually disclaimers that say it's not an official publication of the church. It is written by Neil L. Anderson, more or less. As not, a person. Not, not, as a person who happens to be an apostle, but it does not represent an official, official publication or book done by the church saying this is the church's law. We blow the line a lot and understandably so. Yeah. And I rarely think you're going to like, you, you You run the risk of running afoul or anything from reading a book yeah. that an apostle happens to have written. But that approach intrigues me strictly because it is not an actual church publication. It's church adjacent, but we're using it for yeah. manuals. And if we're doing that, wh- how is that really functionally any different from other things we could use for manuals? Exactly. You know, it's, and, and I mean, it's a step above C.S. Lewis. Don't get me started on that. That's a thing I think. <laughs> C.S. Lewis has great quotes too. It's great. It's wonderful. But when we talk about, we talk about all the time now, good sources, you know, things that are not, yeah. like we said, lazy learners, good sources, appro- church approved sources are the right thing to do. But it's like C.S. Lewis was not a member of our church. Yeah. We don't publish C.S. Lewis's books. We just think he had some good insights. So that just opens, if we're going to quote him in general conference, yeah. like why can't, I should be able to quote, you know? Rahm Emanuel, if I really want to. I don't know why he popped in my head, but yeah, Rahm Emanuel in general conference, everybody. Anyway, good times at Institute. Yes. Sorry to ramble about it. Nope, that's okay. All right. Ooh, how about we talk about BYU cracks down on Y Mountain? So um, we have talked about this a lot in the last couple of months, um, simply because BYU was kind of cracking down on protests. Um, for LGBTQ students, but they were saying all protests, but the primary target seems to be LG, LGBTQ students. And so you you uh, have to have BYU's permission to protest. And mm-hmm. if two or more people are gathered in some sort of a protest without BYU's com- permission, they call that a protest if there is protest-like behavior. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so about a year ago, they did a, a rainbow light. They lighted the Y with a rainbow. And that um, BYU was not, uh, they were a little cranky about that. That did not make them very happy. <laughs> so they posted, what are we cranky? they posted all sorts of signs and said, no, no, you may not light the, you may not light the Y. You may not do anything with the Y. You have to leave the Y alone. And so when they did that a couple months ago, I thought to myself, how are they going to just stop students from going up there and holding their flashlights up, you know, that have colors or however they want to do this? And there's a um, way. This week we got the answer and I saw the picture. So if you've ever visited any sort of a construction site, they have kind of this orange plastic fencing that they Mm -hmm. like to put up usually between um, poles that they put in the ground. And so what they did this week, because they did not want a repeat of what happened a year ago, they um, put some poles in the ground and they cut off access to the Y with this orange fencing. And I'm not entirely sure how far the orange fencing goes around, but it goes around pretty far. And then they put lots of signs that said, don't cross the orange fencing. This is trespassing. Because if you remember last year, um, there were kind of people who were up in arms on both sides of this issue. Some people mm-hmm. thought it was great. Other people thought they have vandalized the why they should all be in jail. Well, they hadn't, they hadn't physically done any damage to the why um, because that I think, like I said, I think they were using some sort of flashlights or something that had color on it. So there was no physical damage. So they couldn't arrest them for, um, for vandalism and they had not appropriately said you can't be in this area so there wasn't a trespassing issue and so they um they have taken care of that now so the why will only be lit with however it is that BYU wants it to be lit I'll be curious to see 
if that fence stays and how long that fence stays, because I don't know if this is just temporary because the anniversary was coming up on when they lit the Y and they wanted to make sure that didn't happen again, or if this is going to be permanent because, you know, who's to say there's not going to be some underground organization of, you know, Hey, on May 3rd, let's go up and light the way with rainbows. Um, you know, I don't know. So it'll, it'll be interesting because one of the th- points is, is that when BYU purchased this land from the federal government, they were supposed to keep access to the Y open. And so this fence clearly cuts off access to the Y. So I, it's going to be really interesting to see how this kind of continues to play out. I mean, yeah, President Worthen said at the time that they looked forward to sharing Y Mountain with our neighbors, friends, and visitors. This is a big deal because the mountain was actually, yeah. it was, it's land that was run by the U.S. Forest Service. Yeah, and then they, they picked it up. Yeah, like a lot of the West. And um, the school still has authority to enforce restrictions, though. But I think it's kind of funny. Like this whole thing going back to it. I mean, hiking the Y at night has been a thing at BYU for a very long time, yeah. right? You, they, they're saying it's a safety issue, but like for decades, students have hiked the Y with their flashlights, whatever, peacefully at night because you go up there, beautiful night view of Utah yeah. Valley, whatever you want. You know, and the, it's just, uh, it, it disappoints me when we try to make up a little bit of a scapegoat, right? We just, it's it's just for everyone's yeah. safety. We can't let them up there. It's, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. Weird times, man, with what's going on there in Provo. It's just, uh, it's kind of bizarre yeah. to, me, to me in many, many ways. Um, I am also going to go into more stuff that is conjecture. That's right, folks. Another one that I can't prove is real, but I'm choosing to believe it based on the sources in question. So this came out kind of mid last week. Um, a, a number of people started chattering on Twitter, a little bit on Facebook about some sort of training or something that happened, some kind of an event with elders Christofferson and Holland in Utah. Uh, where they basically spoke about that we're being inappropriate about Heavenly Mother. Once again, I want to lead off. We have no way of proving any of this. There's no public record of it. But many, many, many people have commented on Twitter, for example, and screenshot emails they've received. And it seems to be enough individuals might have been part of this training in Utah that they have come forward and corroborated the exact same thing. So while some of the verbiage might be a little bit different here and there, I'm inclined to believe this actually took place, but we don't have any proof about it. But I still think this is better than just a flat out rumor or anything like that. So just just so we're clear about that. The other thing to remember, if this if this training occurred, it was a training in Utah. This was not a training for the entire church. This was not a broadcast for all leadership in the church. This was a Utah thing. That's not to say that Utah doesn't sometimes serve as a microcosm for the church at large and the yeah. brethren kind of get ideas for how the church is going. It's a barometer at the same time as well, right? So so be that what it may. Um, allegedly, they said there were a few things that were not appropriate. One, including or crediting Heavenly Mother in the creation or the plan of salvation. It's like just saying she was involved in it or she helped create the world. Two, referring to her or teaching about her in church. It's Heavenly Parents, and that should not be capitalized. So this was the one that stuck out at me because I thought like, interesting, we're, if we're this is true and we're saying not to talk much about Heavenly Mother, like the young women's theme now yeah. says I'm a daughter of Heavenly Parents. But I guess they're noting that Heavenly Parents is not capitalized in the way that we capitalize God, Him, Savior, Lord, things like that. Uh, praying to her is inappropriate. And then it says they emphasize that Jesus only taught about the Father and we should be doing what he said and that he never mentioned the mother. Uh, and the last thing in this one particular thread says, I've seen it mentioned in, in detail by several different people in separate places, and they said the same thing. And there's people who have feelings about this. So first of all, I am a man. I recognize for me to talk and kind of talk about <laughs> Heavenly Mother and the feelings one has for her. Not that I can't have those feelings as well, but it is different. And like I, I don't, I want to empathize, but I don't uh, completely, I can't, I can't synthesize all of those feelings perhaps that women do might experience having a yearning for a heavenly mother and understanding her better uh as women you might just want that maternal relationship with deity so i understand that even if i don't like understand it i just hope we can be clear about that i'm sensitive to that i understand the what's going on there but i do find if if there's truth to this i think it's very interesting and and very very nitpicky (laughs) in a way uh, as well but before i go much further tiffany obviously as a as a woman um, yes. how 
the let the record stay. What? Where do you like? Where do you fall on this? How are you on the Heavenly Mother spectrum? You know, I really did like the addition to the young women's theme of Heavenly Parents. I was like, yeah. yes, that is that is awesome. Um, you know, I, I have never, and again, not to discount women who have felt like this yearning that, Hey, I need to understand my heavenly mother more. I, I have never felt that yearning. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not sure why that is, if it's just because, you know, I had such an incredible earthly mother and she passed away when I was very young. I was 22. And so when I am needing kind of that spiritual woman in my life, I am turning and thinking about and, you know, communicating in the way that I communicate with my mom, who's on the other side of the veil saying, hey, mom, I could I could use some help here. And so I suppose if I didn't have that, maybe I would feel differently about Heavenly Mother. Um, because when I... It, to a certain extent, when I think of Heavenly Mother, to me, I think of my my real mom because she yeah. is very much in 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 a spirit form to me. So, you know, I just i i i haven't I, I don't have super strong feelings on that. Probably more so based on just my personal experience. But like I said, I do like the fact that we do acknowledge parents. And that the, and it's a reminder to the young women that, you know, hey, you have parents, you have a heavenly mother and a heavenly father. You know, I, I still, you know, for whatever reason, why we don't spend more time discussing her, talking about her. I mean, there's lots of reasons why they, they say that is so, some of which I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but it's just not, it's not a hill I've ever wanted to die on. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And like, that's okay. Like, yeah. like you're, you're being very clear that you're not, you know, knocking that this or anything like that. And there's, there's a great body of work out there. There are many people who've written about heavenly mother, contemplating heavenly mother. There are books of poetry about heavenly mother. And, and, um, I think Carolyn Pearson has done a lot of that, hasn't she? Yeah. And so yeah. is uh, Rachel Hunt Steenblick. Yeah. Uh, there, there's interesting stuff out there. I guess I can understand, from a church leadership perspective, like I've been in leadership callings and we've, we've been taught many times, not specifically about this, but of the importance that we teach correct doctrine, that we not be errant or speculative perhaps in our meetings. Um, Heavenly mother is an interesting thing because we don't, we, we know very little about her. We know she exists. And we also know about her exclusively because of Latter-day revelation of what's happened since the restoration. There is nothing in scripture about her. Like, I mean, you can, you can pick up things apart and talk about like whether, um, you know, like the word Elohim actually translates to a plural God. And so that implies heavenly mother, things like that. You could do that. But at the end of the day, we don't have a lot of specifics about heavenly mother on the flip side. So, so of course we shouldn't speculate necessarily. We shouldn't perhaps go beyond what has been revealed for, for knowledge. So I understand that perspective completely. And it makes sense. Like, cause otherwise we're running the risk of kind of creating our own doctrine. Like we could do that about anything, not yeah. just heavenly mother. Right. At the same time, since our knowledge about Heavenly Mother comes from Latter-day Revelation, I, I feel that it's not that it comes this easily, but we could also say like, well, is there anything against like prophets inquiring to understand more about Heavenly yeah. Mother and sharing that with the people? Um, like we know we don't try to shame or pressure the church into action on any one thing. That doesn't exact, that doesn't end well. It's not the way things, things get done in, in a positive sense, but you do still have to wonder yeah. that like, well, like. Like we're not looking for anything new here. Like we're, this is something that's been wholly revealed in our latter days. <laughs> and, and just like if you can issue an update to the word of wisdom a couple years, not an update to the word of wisdom, but a, a clarifier about the word of wisdom mm -hmm. a few years ago, which is also a modern day law, a latter day law, you could do it for other things, but we don't know why they've elected not to. And anything beyond that is just conjecture on our part. The whole idea of like, oh, they want to protect her. Any of that, that's just stuff we're yeah. all making up. So Exactly. Exactly. So I, th I think it's interesting. I, I would be, I mean, I'd be dismayed, but I do understand like I'm indifferent on the crediting with the plan of salvation, praying to Heavenly Mother. I get that because I think mm -hmm. Heavenly Jesus was pretty clear, like pray to the Father in my name. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be careful, but I also don't think we should squash people's hopes and desires to understand something higher in deity, something that we, that we don't know. Um, lastly, facetiously, if this is true that they actually emphasize that like Jesus only taught about the father and we should be, and that's what we should focus on. 
Oh boy, how do I say this without sounding wrong? It's just, it, it could sound like we're limiting ourselves to only investigating those things specifically that Jesus taught yeah. in general. And while he is our example and our savior, our exemplar, all those things, um, there are other things that we have in the latter days yeah. that have come th- from revelation from Jesus and the doctrine and covenants, but weren't necessarily like his teachings in his ministry. I mean, whether that is like, like I said, the word of wisdom, for example, um, like all the general conference talks on pornography. There's no mention of pornography in the scriptures. Like we don't have yeah. those things, so so we don't want to limit ourselves too much. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's my uh, that's my bit there. I think this is an interesting development. Mostly, I'm curious to see if more comes of it or not. Yeah. Like if there's people who are afraid General Conference might hint on this, or there's going to be some kind of global leadership training, or I don't know. Well, or maybe there was just an area of Utah that it was just getting a little out of control, and they were like, "Hey, it. let's let's clamp down on this, and let's not uh, let's not this." expand based on conjecture, you know, just like what you said, more so than we want it to, because, oh, yeah. you know, when it, when it expands like that, then all of a sudden, you know, it's blurring the lines between doctrine and conjecture and culture and all of that. Yeah. All those famous feminists from daybreak. There you go. You know who you are. <laughs> all right. Jump roping. Shall I talk about our, uh, you know, I always love a good Idaho story. You know how I feel about a good Idaho story. <laughs> you can have all the Idaho stuff you want right now. <laughs> okay. So there is a missionary right now and he is from Idaho and I looked him up. He's actually from Rexburg. And I, I mean, like he legit lives in Rexburg. He's just not like going to school there. And so they, they exist. I went out with a girl once whose family was from Rexburg. They're, they're, they're real people. They're non well, students. Me being the person who's never been north of Idaho Falls and never been to Rexburg. Oh, you're missing out. Rexburg is just a figment of my imagination. They have a supermarket. The what? They have a supermarket. It's incredible. They They have have a supermarket in Rexburg. Pretty soon they're going to have two temples. There's a jack-in-the-box. Oh. Anyway. It's It's a scene. So his name is Porter Ballard, which of course begs the question. That's the most Mormon name ever. (laughs) Yeah. What is his relation to President Ballard or Elder Ballard, as the case may be? Anyway, so he is on his mission in Norway now. And before he left on his mission, um, he... He's he's in Hungary. He's in Hungary. Oh, yes. He went to the world jump roping competition in Norway. Sorry about that. Yes. He is in Hungary. So before he left on his mission, he went to this world jump roping competition in Norway and and uh, was part of an international jump roping team that competed on Britain's Got Talent. And he's just a very good jump roper. And when I looked him up, he's got a brother who jump ropes too. So I guess they must be kind of like a jump roping family. And so... That's a thing. That's a, thing. <laughs> a jump roping family. Well, what else are you going to do in Rexburg? Hello. <laughs> What's your family like? Well, we're all pretty into jump roping. That's what we do. We hit the ground. We go to the Iring Center and just jump and jump and jump. Anyway, so he's trying to decide if he's going to go on a mission and uh, he, if he's going to keep jump roping competitively and internationally or if he's going to go on a mission. And he is landscaping one day and he overheard his client saying that if it weren't for the missionaries, he wouldn't be where he was today. So he took that as his sign to go on a mission. So he's on a mission, but alas, his jump roping skills are continuing. You know, fortunately, a jump rope is a little small item you can easily pack in your suitcase on your mission. Oh, he's keeping it going. Took his jump rope with him and he's um, teaching people to jump rope. He's doing shows, um, inviting people to come watch him jump rope. And so he is using his jump rope and his jump roping skills as a missionary tool, keeping up his training there. Oh, good for him. So good for Elder Ballard. Uh, but before you do more Idaho, I'm going to do a quick, quick station ID break, real, folks, here on This Week in Mormons. I just want to give a shout out. I promised on last week's episode. If you join Patreon to support the show, patreon.com slash This Weekend Mormons, I would shout you out on the show. And our first one to do it last week was Liz Bradbury. Liz Bradbury, thank you so much for your support, Liz. Just wanted to throw that out there and thank you for uh, being a part of the team. So any of you, you can do the same thing over at patreon.com slash This Weekend Mormons. Liz, we can't do the show without you. You are the reason. That's all. Okay. Um, You you can just do more Idaho if you want. This is your... Well, 
you know, my other Idaho stuff is all Mormons behaving badly. Do you want to finish some other news stories before okay. we get into the Mormons behaving badly? Which, okay. of course, is okay. always my favorite segment. All right, 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 all right. I'll do a couple ones here. Uh, by Common Consent, ran an interesting piece called The White Protestant Assumptions in the Word Cult. I believe this was primarily written because you will sometimes hear people refer to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a cult. And uh, it's this is really just like, this is almost like a long-form etymology, explaining the history of the word cult and why it is used. Um, so I'll try to give you a brief primer. But the word cult des- derives from the Latin cultus, which just means to worship. That's all that means. Mm-hmm. But as he said in the late 19th century, uh, earliest scholars of religion began using it to describe places of worship from so-called primitive societies. And primitive essentially meant non-Protestants and especially non-white uh, worshipers were started to be described as cults. By the early 20th century, conservative Protestant evangelicals began to use the word cult, and kind of like the academics, they used it to reform to forms of Christianity that were, to them, fake, i.e. non-Protestant. So Roman Catholics and Mormons were cults because they mixed real Christianity uh, with things that conservative Protestants thought weren't really religious, like a charismatic leader or ritual, for example, all these sorts of things that we do. And then you fast forward to the 60s and 70s. The Protestant assumptions had sunk deeply enough into American culture that sociologists started using the term just to refer to religious systems that were troubling, which is an interesting way of phrasing it, right? Um, They just weren't appropriately religious because they weren't Protestant too many, and they had charismatic leaders, and it's easy to call it a cult. And you hear the term religious cult all the time, and I think as Latter-day Saints, when we think of a cult, we don't think of ourselves, of course, but we think of... Uh, you know, like doomsdayers who are holed up in the mountains somewhere and follow or, a single leader. Or, or satanic or, cults. That's kind of what I think thing. of is satanic cults. Yeah. I go really, I go really big, you know, big and bad satanic big cults. And bad. <laughs> uh, so basically, like, obviously what, what people think they're saying when they say cult is really a religious, um, they think they're talking about a religious movement or some movement that's abusive or dangerous in some kind of way. So he says, if that's what you mean, simply say that. Actually call it an abusive or dangerous religion. When you use the word cult in a derogatory way, you are implicitly asserting that Protestantism is a genuine religion and others are inferior to it. You're also putting yourself in alliance with conservative evangelicals from the 1940s by assuming that the viewpoints of these Protestants from back when are the norm. And you are also drawing on a rhetorical legacy deeming the religious practices of non-white people as primitive. So uh, there's a book here that he cited called The Kingdom of Cults. Interesting little bit. You know, it doesn't, doesn't totally call out Latter-day Saints in any particular way. But uh, but I was just so fascinated with the definition of cult being yeah. essentially, if you're not a Protestant religion, you're a cult. And I'm like, wow, I had I never understood that before I read this article. Or that that yeah. is a definition, one of the many definitions of a You're cult. the cult, Calvinists. <laughs> I'm not the cult. You're the cult. <laughs> I'm not the cult. You're the cult. Um, I'll get into one more here before you want to do Mormons behaving badly. Uh, religious liberty, folks. We hear about it all the time. It's a part of General Conference. I, I joked a couple weeks ago. Wait, I guarantee a RAS band will speak about it <laughs> in a few weeks. This will happen. Are we, are we putting uh, money on the table on this? No money on the table. Okay. No, no money on the table, but maybe I'll give people the gift of like me not appearing on the show for a week or something like that. So uh, this this game, there was a religious liberty. There was a symposium uh, at the church. It was the Church History Symposium, which was last week, Thursday and Friday, sponsored by the Church History Department. And it was in like the auditorium, uh, I believe, in the church office building. The pictures are weird because it looks like sparsely attended. I'm sure this was streamed, but... I'm kind of shocked how few people are there for this sort of thing. You know, so, I thought the same thing. There were lots of empty seats. Yeah, like it's, it almost looks like just the press might have been there, even if that. I don't know. I'm hoping it was streamed. Either way, I'm sure it was. If I click on the Church History Symposium, maybe it'll let me you know, view some stuff here. Oh, yeah. There we go. Oh, is it the Brigham University? The office building? Admission is free. Oh, I don't know if it was live stream, but you can watch videos after the fact. Admission was free. Everyone was welcome. Elder Gong hmm. was the keynote speaker, and he spoke, of course, about religious liberty in Latter-day Scripture, in church history, and what it means today, uh, and worldwide concerns about a global faith. I'm glad he covered, talk, touched on all of these. I think a lot of the time we focus primarily on religious liberty and what it means in a North American context today, uh, and what and, and we get, you know, we're just in battles yeah. of like 
it's that fine line between like, is it religious liberty you're fighting for, or is it the ability to um, discriminate based on religion? Right? Is that yeah. the same thing as religious liberty? There's a very fine line between those two. I'm glad he spoke about sort of the global nature of religious freedom, that a free society is founded upon tenets of religious liberty. And you could go on and on because like religious liberty is not a thing everywhere else in the world. Like we we quibble about minutiae here in the United States where I live. And we're fortunate for that because there are other places where you just don't have freedom. In Russia, you don't have freedom to worship. In plenty of places where the church is active, there are restrictions upon modes of worship or if we can proselytize, just, just to name a few things. And like we work around it, but like, yeah, there, there are huge concerns for religious liberty around the world. And really, they believe that a, a, a society that embraces true freedom of worship and of conscience is better off in general. And I absolutely believe in that. And I appreciate Elder Gong. Yeah. Telling it to us like yeah. it is. I I appreciated his remarks too. I th- I thought he did a, a a good job, and especially bringing it to a globalistic rather than because just like you said, so often we get caught up in the minutia of religious liberty in America, <laughs> while other countries are looking at us going, really, really. <laughs> especially because we are we are officially and ostensibly a global church. Yeah. So. It's like, I get it. The apostles are in Utah and the States. It's easier to do stuff like that. They can't be everywhere at once, but, and every now, and of course it makes the news like yeah. when they travel internationally and get to be parts of various panels and things I like, you know, I get it. Uh, I just hope we can do more of that. Yeah. I remember when Henry and president Iron got to go meet the Pope. That was rad. Good for us. Exactly. For us. All right. Should we move on to Mormons behaving badly? Yeah, you can give it to us. please. Okay. So the question is, Jeff, should I start with my updates first or my Mormon behaving badly of the week? Do you have a preference? I want the updates because I think the one of the week is probably the most egregious one on the list. And that's a great note for us to end on. Exactly. So okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. As you know, I have given two awards in the category of Mormons behaving badly. I have a Lifetime Achievement Award winner who is Ammon Bundy. And, Dang pardon me? Nothing. And I have a um, a Hall of Fame winner, which is the Idaho sheriff uh, who assaulted the teenage girls. Question though, what about the uh, the the daybells or whatever? You're obsessed with them. Oh, I am obsessed with the daybells. I have not, I have not, I have not given an award to the daybells just yet. Um, I have, have not come up with the with the appropriate award for them. So right. let's start with our lifetime achievement award winner, Ammon Bundy, and I will explain to you why he is a lifetime achievement award winner. Because over the weekend, he accumulated yet another arrest for trespassing in the state of Idaho. This brings and him zero. up to his fifth trespassing charge in the last, um, basically the last. 18 months approximately. And um, this one, he, so he's been banned from our state house. However, he's running for governor. So it, should he win? Not that I think that he will. It will be really interesting because he couldn't really go into his office because he's been banned from the state house where the governor's office is. But I, that's a digression. So this was an incident and I'll just summarize it real quick. I've been able to get some details on it. There is not a lot out there because it involves child protective services. And so you really only get one side of the story. But there was a baby that was suspected that the um, parents were not adequately nutritionally supporting this baby. And they missed uh, they missed a couple of appointments for this baby, refused to bring this baby in. So physicians declared this baby in danger, got health and welfare involved. And anyway, they ended up stopping the parents. Uh, they saw them driving down the street. They stopped them. Uh, they took the baby into protective custody. They took the baby to the hospital. Uh, the baby's grandfather is a very ardent supporter of Ammon Bundy. And so he called Ammon and Ammon rallied his troops for boots on the ground yeah. at the oh, hospital. Like, like, call the midwife. Call the Bundy. <laughs> exactly. Call the Bundy. <laughs> and so tons of people arrived at this hospital at like midnight on Friday. Um, I believe Ammon actually went into the hospital, was told by the hospital to leave, refused to leave, saying, I'm not leaving until you give the baby to its parents. So then the cops came and they arrested him for trespassing. Now, here's the other irony. So that happened Friday. His trial started today for his trespassing charges from 2021. 
So he is currently in day one of a five-day jury trial for uh, charge number three and charge number four of trespassing at the Idaho State House. I'm not saying that, like, you know, like, uh, I'm just curious about the church side of this. Like, what do you do if you're this man's bishop? Seriously. I mean, he has, as far as Ammon Bundy hasn't, I don't think he's actually wound up being convicted of anything at this point, right? He's been charged a number of times. He's been convicted of one of the trespassing charges uh, from the state house in October of, or excuse me, August of 2020. So he has been convicted. It's a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. Um, So, yeah. I mean, what do you do if you're his ecclesiastical leader? Uh, Yeah, I just, that's. And that's way above my pay grade. I just don't even know how yeah. you deal with that. It's like, uh, Brother Bundy, we need to, I don't know if we can do the temple recommend thing right now. Because, um, you know, the stuff and the ways you're acting and you're kind of uh, you're kind of like trying to violently overthrow the government at times, which could be an issue. So, well, it's, I'm hoping he becomes your governor. It would, him becoming your governor would be the apotheosis of everything that's happened in Idaho in the past so few true. years. That. I mean, what is going on in your in the two hundred eight? What is happening? <laughs> I I I I can't even. You know, some of my friends are just mortified, and this I said, this is how you have to mentally deal with all of this. Is you have to just look at it as entertainment and not take it too seriously. Because if you take it seriously, you'll end up in the fetal position in the corner. Because it's just, it's just mayhem is the only way to describe it. There's that a real. Was- there's a real battle going on right now between uh, extreme conservatives that consider themselves patriots and regular conservatives who have been labeled rhinos or Republican in name only by the extreme conservatives. And then there's a few token Democrats who kind of sit back and just watch the infighting in the Republican Party. Oh, bless him. So okay. basically we have a three-party system. <laughs> All right. So, excuse me. Now for my next update, which is on the Idaho Sheriff. You may remember uh, Sheriff Craig Rowland out of Bingham County. He had his preliminary hearing and he went to hearing. And it's interesting because it appears he is going to attempt to mount a Uh, self-defense. Self-defense is going to be his uh, reasoning for behaving the way he did with the teenage girls. That they came to his house under cover of darkness. His light wasn't on. And everybody knows he only welcomes visitors if the porch light is on. And they would oh, knock and, they would knock and run away. They all know that. Everyone's like, <laughs> they no, all know that. And that the car was, an, was this beat up old car. And he couldn't see who was in the car until he pulled them out at gunpoint. So kind of some interesting arguments at his preliminary hearing. He, of course, was bound over on his felony charges. I don't believe they've been set for trial yet because they were still arguing about when they were he was going to get arraigned. They couldn't find a date on his attorney's calendar to get him arraigned. Oh so uh, anyway, we'll keep you updated on that one. What is happening in the gem state? I don't <laughs> I don't even know why I say this. I, I'm, I grew up in California and I'm sure half the listeners to the show could make hay out of everything that happens. In my exactly. State, but, uh, but still. All right. And well, then- that was fun. And then the weirdest one of the week. Let's oh end on a my gosh. A, a very, let's end on a firm, real <sighs> note here. <laughs> a I, non-augmented note. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. This popped up on the Huffington Post. And this is the title of the story. I'm a mom, a Mormon, and a sex worker. My career has been secret until Sorry. now. This just makes me think of like if it was the old I'm a Mormon videos, like I'm a sex worker, a mom, and I'm a Mormon. All three of those things. Get that one up on the old Mormon.org. Oh my gosh. So there's this woman and there's a picture of her. And (laughs) I I don't think it gives us her last name. She goes by Holly Jane. And I'm going to presume Holly Jane is not her real name. No. And so she says that her journey began uh, that that her husband, when she was 31, her husband passed away and that the uh, caring for her husband and the anxiety and the stress was a lot. And she pulled herself together 
And now she's a single mom and she had to make ends meet. So she quit her job as a recruiter and she started nude modeling is what she says. I mean, that's what you do. It's like you've got like the MLM route or only fans. Exactly. So then she decides to expand beyond the nude modeling and she makes a video of herself. And I will just say, I have not watched the video, of course. According to the article, she is enjoying herself in the video. Let's let's just leave it at that. And she posts it on a popular porn site. She starts to gain a social media following. And so then she gets her, her own website. And this is supposedly what she does for her job. And she says, oh, but I'm still active. I go to church on Sunday. You know, nobody knows what I do, but I guess they are they'll know now. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm totally fine with what I do. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't care if people look down on me, etc. So my thought on this when I read through it is I was trying to decide, is this for real? Or is this fake? Because I, I just have, I mean, Maybe she has some sort of Mormon background. Maybe she goes to church once a year or watches church on Zoom and considers herself to be active. But I just can't fathom that there is someone who shows up at church every week with her kids, does all the typical things that you would do if you were active, and basically creates pornography for a living and is like, yeah, I got no problem with that. I, 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 I just, there's just a part of me that thinks I don't, I think the woman is real. I mean, there's obvious, I, I went to her Instagram account, you know, she's, she's got a real Instagram account, but I just don't, I question how Mormon she is. That's, that's, that's what I question. And that's a, uh, you know, and it's always a slippery slope when we're trying to even rate how Mormon someone is, right? But, but. This one's because the headline, I mean, she says she's active in the church. That can mean a lot of things. Active can mean she attends church and maybe she takes the sacrament. I mean, we don't know if she has a temple recommend, if she's been lying and doing all that end of things. I don't, that, that, that gets a lot more egregious. Now that these are not, you know, troubling sins that merit attention. And she even says she's worried that by writing her story, she will get national attention and might, you know, might have her case referred to her local leadership who will get in touch with her. Which, yes, that is very likely to happen. I mean, she's really banking on like no one who knows anything about her or anything reading HuffPost. Is she banking on the fact that Mormons are largely conservative and don't want to read the Huffington Post? Is that the hope here? That they're just going to gloss over it because it's a liberal rag? I don't know. Well, here's the other thought I had. (laughs) This is so awful. Okay. We know that there are members of the church who view pornography. Yeah. How is it How many- that, that that if she was active, that maybe someone who knows her didn't already accidentally stumble across her? I, I don't know. <laughs> That could be a thing too. It's a, I, I'm with you. It's hard to know how real this is. And if it is, yeah. it's, almost, it's almost baffling to me because it's like, I don't know, for someone to argue and be like, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. Yeah. For her exact quotes. Like, all right, I'm not the one who's in a position to judge or discipline or anything like that. But I do think we have pretty clear standards about things. I understand people wondering about stuff more in the weeds, like, did I do something wrong or not? Is this wrong? Is that wrong? You know, classic BYU questions, those kinds of things. Um, You know, nights on Squaw Peak, that kind of stuff. But uh, this, I, I, I feel like it's pretty clear. Based on, you know, reading yeah. the standards of the church and, and such, I, uh, I I don't see a ton of gray area on this one. Um, you know, I know that like the church couldn't stop her. They can't stop yeah. her if like no matter what she does, if she's like, well, I still want to attend church. I mean, they could deny yeah. her communion, essentially. Yeah. They could say, they could say this person likes to come. She can't have the sacrament, but she's welcome to be here. Yeah. All of her welcome. Oh, yeah. That's, that could be the level of activity she's referring to. Uh, if this is some crazy scandal waiting to blow up and this woman is like a primary president and like totally normal, like as you, I hate to say normal, right? No, it's, what's normal, but you know what I, like you said, like you yeah. just, you, an unassuming member of the church 
But then outside of it, it's just one big webcam party. Yeah. I, I exactly. Don't you know, and know. she does say, I want other women and men to know it's okay to explore their sexuality without shame. I don't disagree with that statement, but I'm not sure this is maybe the right way to do that. Oh, boy. I mean, yeah. Who? Where did this go wrong? I blame the parents. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, that's why we put her in the um, the Mormon behaving badly category for this strange, evening. What a strange story. And, and this is one we, I came across like last week, but I just did not want to share it on the Twim feed on, on Facebook and Twitter and stuff. I was like, nope, not touching it. But now it's immortalized here on the podcast. There you but go. That's on the podcast. Well, well, I came across it last week too, and I tagged it because I thought, okay, if Jeff doesn't talk about it when Ariane and I podcast, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I, if you know, we'll talk about talking about it. So Ariane is gonna shock you and be like, "There's nothing wrong here. This is fine." <laughs> so maybe, maybe when she and I podcast, I'll have to say, Ariane, what did you think? Share your feelings. <laughs> That's what's that's what's gonna happen. Anyway, all right, folks. I think we can call it a show here. I feel healthy about that. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Of course, subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify are the big hitters. But you know, wherever you get your podcast, there is a subscribe button. Hit that button. Utilize that button. Nurture that button. Love that button. Um, and if you can write a review for the show, we'd appreciate it if you would. That'd be very kind of you. Tiffany, it's a delight to have you here. Thanks for joining us. This, this is really fun. I've never done a one-on-one with you. I We've done it in a group setting, but never, never just the two of us. So thank you for having me. I And thank you to Ariane for loaning you unbeknownst. That's me. right. I, I appreciate that. It's been a delight. Nice of you to join us. And all of you, of course, thanks again for listening. You make the show possible. So please go on Patreon, follow us on social media, be part of the conversation. Keep an eye out. Conference is coming up, which you know what that means, folks. Temple predictions, tie tracker, all kinds of fun. Also, you know, the word of the restored gospel, that part of it too. But also, tie tracker. Come on, people. Get ready. Best part. All right. That's going to be it. So for Tiffany, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. You have yourself a terrific week, and we'll talk to you again on the Flippity Flip. Bye.